0: Welcome to another episode of Off Air, it's your weekly news and pop and kind of everything in between podcast, where two mates, Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, who have worked in so many facets of the media over a combined 20 years, sit down and break down the top three stories that we think that you need in your life. Plus, uh, we've got a Facebook group, it's called Off Air Podcast Community, so you can be a part of the podcast every single week. Uh, This week, we're going to be jumping into masturbating on a desk i can't believe i have to say it the latest in the coalition party falling apart and how to put a stop to it in your own life um, a new study on the cost of happiness in australia and are we seeing abusive behavior on married at first sight at the moment is it all worth it what is our mandate tim rubin it's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I
1: really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS.
0: You're listening to Off
1: Air. I believe it's this. I did something this
0: week that I wanted to tell you about. You'll think this is quite funny. So um, you, So I boxed for quite a while and, you know, I like, was boxing in yeah. Bendigo and, and my boxing yep. gym in Bendigo was um, it's called the Hit Factory, great boxing gym. It's a shed um, mm. in, like, suburban Bendigo. Big shed, two boxing rings in the middle of it, bunch of weights, that's it. You rock up there with a bunch of dudes and girls and you, you box.
1: It's a proper, it's what you imagine boxing gyms to be when you're thinking about people in Brooklyn or in California or yeah. in London in a back alley, just yeah. hammer and yeah. tong.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a regional Victorian that, yeah. exactly. Um So we've been living, staying in Melbourne now and Ellie's been going to, she's found a new gym and it has a boxing class. And so I said, we should, I should go. Can I come Mm. and we'll, I'll give it a try. It was like going to the most intense gay nightclub that you've ever (laughs) been to. And there was boxing. Nick, it was, have you ever been to one of these gyms that were, that are fully pitch black, that are dark with flashing lights? No, and, and the lights are in time with the music. It's fully dark underground oh, wow. on Chapel Street, with hanging water, um, hanging water boxing bags that look like they're out of the future. It, it honestly, we came home and we were like, "Did we just go clubbing? I don't even know what happened."
1: And how so, was people's forms in the bougie boxing gym? How was how were their straights? And... I, I
0: don't think that my boxing coach in Bendigo would have been very impressed. <laughs> Daryl was a great instructor. Um, mm. I think they had like uh, I think they had tap uh, sparkling water and stuff. It, oh, you know, it was wow. very and the gloves yeah. you'd put them back onto the rack, and they had individual glove coolers um, that you what glo- wait. Yeah, you put the gloves onto these big, I don't know, like straw things and it pumps cool air into them. So that then when the next person gets them, they're dry and cool.
1: So is that where Michael Zarafa is currently training for his next fight? Yeah, Tim Zhu, I believe. It was so <laughs>
0: It was so funny. If you if you get a chance to go to one of these high-tech gyms, I would I would recommend it. That's mine. what I
1: find funny is when that person goes to work the following Tuesday and they're chatting with their colleagues and they go, Oh yeah, a bit sore around the shoulder. Just been boxing. Yeah, I yeah, I go I box three times a week. It's just something I do, you know? Yeah, I did the Ariana Grande mix class. Oh, it was
0: crazy. Story number one. So a member of the coalition has been fired this week for masturbating on a desk at work um, and sending the footage of it to his mates. An anonymous whistleblower nicknamed Tom has come forward. He said that he was actually part of a group chat for two years where this type of thing was happening all the time. And he said that he'd, imbo- he'd actually personally been involved in similar types of acts. Um, awards for comedy news reporting for this story go to The Chaser, who published an article saying, but what was the desk wearing at the time? That was great. <laughs> Um, And people have also asked if um, ScoMo had wondered how he would feel if it was Jenny's desk. Mm. Um, There was something about this story that actually surprised me more than anything else, Nick. And I think it was something different to um, what we've seen in the news. I was shocked at, and I'm extrapolating here a little bit, but I was shocked at how weak the other men in the office must have been and must be.
1: Are you referring to not calling out that behavior or yeah. to, to engaging? Yeah. I think, well, I don't even, I think that you could extrapolate it that way or just say that the culture is that toxic, that that behavior is that normal. And, and that in itself is, <clears throat> is concerning. Cause I can honestly say I've worked in, I've worked for a V8 supercar team where there was 65 men and two women in the organization. Mm-hmm. And that behavior would not have happened there. <laughs> this is not This is not something I have seen in, in a work environment, if I'm being completely frank. I don't think it's something
0: that most people have seen. And I think it was very weird, uh, the press conference that I'm sure people have seen of Scott Morrison throwing News Corp under the bus. And uh, just as a side note, it was very interesting that um, this whole story was not on the front of a lot of News Corp pages. I think because of Scott Morrison's response, News Corp has, if you haven't seen it, basically ScoMo says, um, well, News Corp, you should, uh, if you live in a glass house, don't throw stones because I've heard of HR problems going on there. The HR department of News Corp has come out and basically rebutted what ScoMo was saying. Um, He's
1: apologised as well. I'd love to delve into that at the back half of this story, but mm -hmm. let's get to the nuts and bolts Okay,
0: so... um, so if we look at this, if they're doing this stuff in the middle of the bullpen office and messaging it around, it's incredibly blatant. Like you said, people are going to know about it. People are going to be talking about it. And for it to be going on for years, there must be nobody calling it out. And so for story number one, I actually uh, I actually don't want to get too bogged down in the coalition story itself, Nick, um, because we're just seeing this story going on and on and more and more coming out. And, and we've delved into it for probably the past four weeks, I think. Mm. And I think that honestly, I think people are quite exhausted by it. And so instead I wanted to actually try and be proactive with you today um, because I love your opinion on these types of things and I love the idea of being able to take action. Um, and so I wanted to have a conversation with you about the idea of Calling out shitty behaviour. Um,
1: so, firstly,
0: this might be confronting. Have you ever been called out for anything?
1: Yeah, I I think I have. I was trying to reflect upon this. I saw the post that you popped up in off air community uh, on Facebook, and and I loved the responses there as well. I think I have called. I have called people out and I have myself been called out. And for the most part, it has been in my friendship circle. Right. I probably feel quite fortunate that in our friendship circle, we can do that. Uh, but I would also say that I think there's a big separation between um, intent. And that's that's where I think it's important to sort of focus when you are calling out shitty behavior or if you have been called out is because people will say stupid shit mm-hmm. all the time. We all say stupid shit. And, and we're never entirely cognizant of the situation we're in or who that might offend when we say those things. Um, I, I, I think that there is a big difference between someone trying to get a laugh and telling a, a dumbass joke or a joke that is offensive or someone actually having violent... Uh, and 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 having a bad intention behind what they're saying, does that make sense? In terms of someone might make a a racist joke, one of your friends might make a racist joke that you feel is racist or they might make a sexist joke that you feel is sexist. You probably know that they aren't a racist person or sexist. Do you think so that, that, makes
0: that it, yeah, you think it no no I,
1: no, I think it makes it easier to call uh-huh, it out. right. I okay. think then you can just go, well, come on, mate, that's a bit racist. Yeah, not a or, fan. Yeah. yeah, not a fan. And usually, for the most part, they'll go, "Yeah, yeah, you're probably right." I think it's a harder thing to do mm. when you know there is actual vindictive meaning behind those words. And mm. I probably haven't experienced that as much. And that's what, where it would probably get really hard.
0: What? Um, just I'm interested in in your experience. What do you reckon you've been? If you don't, if if you're comfortable to share, yeah, to yeah. remember what you've been called out on.
1: Uh, I got called out on radio once really, (laughs) really actively and had a lot of complaints against me because... Uh, a co-host at the time said that she loved everyone. And then I, for some bizarre reason, I was tired. And I said, well, does that mean you love Nazis? Because Nazis are people too. Whoa. <laughs> I That's- wasn't saying okay. I love yeah. Okay, Not a fan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. And, yeah. and, I, and, and I agree. It was a dumbass thing to say. Mm. And I think that we are all prone to saying hurtful things regardless of it is in terms to race, in terms of sex, in terms of stereotypes. Uh, But I think it's really important how you respond when you have been called out. So
0: what was, who called you? uh, uh, You said that there were a bunch. Was there, was there, was it the first one? Was it one that came from someone important? What was it? No, it was bit pretty bit much the home. first one. Pretty it much was the immediate.
1: First one. It was immediate. I mean, That's a pretty that glaring one, one. Yeah, and you have. Well, I'm. I'm being honest. And you yeah. have that immediate moment where you go, "Oh fuck, that was a stupid thing yeah. to say. What the hell were you thinking? Um, and I, I think- was probably trying to be a bit shock jockey. Yeah, I was probably trying to lean into that angle at the time. Um, but I think it's different. As I said, I think it's different. If you are having to confront someone whose actual intentions are, are hurtful to another individual when they are in, in, when they have a, an ideology or a belief system, Mm. which is vindictive towards other human beings. And, and that would be a confronting thing to do.
0: I was called out,
1: um, I still think about this
0: all the time, all the time. Um, I was called out when I was, I think 15 or 16, I was on my work experience and I was doing work experience at Channel V, um, cause I obviously was interested in media and mm. blah, blah, blah. And, um, so I was a teenager and I was in their like main kind of bullpen office thing. And, uh, they just had like merch, like band t-shirts and stuff like that around and I think some something had just come in and someone said they were going through it and they were like, oh, Tim, do you want, um, do you want this t-shirt? And I responded by going, nah, that t-shirt's gay.
1: And which when we were 15 was, I got to be honest. There's a lot of questionable Facebook posts that I've probably deleted over the years with my friends using that word and me using that word in a negative manner. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was a different
0: time. And I remember, I don't know if you'll know this guy, but um, there was a guy called Danny Clayton. Uh, Danny, who who some of you might remember from Channel V, he was like the next you had – James Matheson and Osha, who was Andrew G at the time. Mm. And then the next main guy was Danny. And Danny was great and had really taken me under his wing. And I would kind of go around and film Vox Pops with him and create content with him. And I think he was quite young. I feel like he was only a couple of years older than us. I reckon he would have only been maybe 19 or something. And he took me aside and he said, I remember it like it was yesterday. And he said, mate, you've got to realize that you're not at school anymore. You are in a workplace. Firstly, there are gay people in this workplace. And it was the first time that it occurred to me because I was like, oh, my God, I had never even thought that one of the people in that conversation could actually be gay. Mm. Um, Because when you're 15, no one's, I mean, this sounds so silly to say, but I don't know what your school was like. In my school, nobody was openly gay. There were kids that went on to be gay, but at the time, It was, nobody was gay. And uh, yeah, he was like, there are people that are gay. And that's not a word that you can use anymore when you're in the real world. And he said it in such a way, it was not aggressive. It was actually supportive of me because I think he wanted me to have a real shot. Mm. Um, And it rocked me. And I still think about it often.
1: But I think that's the best approach to a non-aggressive approach is the best way to call out crappy behavior, especially if you have a relationship with that person. And whether they choose to action it afterwards, you obviously did, and you were Mm. at an impressionable age. I probably still have people in my life who I've called out for comments that are right. I don't even, it's not even an opinion thing. They are just racist things to say. (laughs) And I have called them out and I know they probably still say those things, but they don't say them around me. And I think that you can do it in a way that sucks the power out of someone. There is, a, there is a way to confront someone in a non-aggressive manner that will suck the power out of them. And I think I he think hit the nail on the head in the way that Danny Clayton did it in terms of being very passive, just letting you know. And let, nobody, I don't think anybody, any everyday person wants to actively hurt people. I like to live my life thinking that. So when you find out that you have hurt someone and you have unintentionally hurt them, it's actually a real winding thing because you go, oh shit, Mm. man, I wouldn't have wanted to do that. That's a really asshole thing to do. Mm. So I think the way he did that was great and it's a good lesson. Yeah. um, No no one wants to hurt
0: people. What about Nazis, Nick?
1: (laughs) I regret the comments. (laughs) I was one of those things where you say something and you go... Man, that was a stupid thing to say. Mm. And we all have those. And you hope that you can redeem yourself. But, and I think we've both been really open throughout this entire uh, experience. We are imperfect people. Yeah. And by nature, we are actively imperfect. But, but the point is, everyone is. And we're trying to be the best versions of ourselves. We're trying to get better and learn more. Mm. Uh, and hopefully like that's a journey that never ends. Uh,
0: Mel commented on off air podcast community, the Facebook group, she said, I find having a solution or suggestion before approaching somebody helps. Otherwise you're just telling them they're a shit person and that usually doesn't end well. Also staying calm helps. I think that that's definitely good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's. I think that we're entering a really interesting time, and I wanted to have this conversation with you because I think it's important that people start to see having those conversations and being called out as not an incredibly negative thing, because I've seen so many posts and things around on Facebook that are um, hashtag, we saw it with All Lives Matter, we're seeing it now with hashtag not all men, and- I think that what people uh, feel when they see a movement, and th- and th- this movement is happening right now um, in, in Australian politics uh, to do with protecting women, I think that people go, well, I'm not inherently a part of this, so I must be on the other side of it, and therefore you're telling me that I'm bad. And personally, I see it totally differently. I see what's happening right now as an opportunity Like when they say not or hashtag not all men, yes, all men, but it's not yes, all men are rapists or sexual assaults or ists or whatever. It's hashtag yes, all men can be a part of the solution. Um, So yeah, I think it's really important that uh, I I wanted to talk about this in reference to this weird desk masturbation story, because I genuinely hope that more men feel comfortable to step up and call out shit behavior.
1: I think that that's fair. I think it's an interesting time in general because I think my fiance and I actually had a really in-depth conversation about this yesterday. How do you respond when you have been called out and you fundamentally disagree with what you've been called out? Where does the barometer lie? Because that's the conversation my fiance and I were having without going uh, too deep into the story Mm -hmm. because it was her story, not mine. It's not my right to tell it. She or, or her department at work had been called out for something uh, and it was one of those things that I think could have gone either way. and 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 when it's on the line like that, and and i I was actually on her side. I said, "I don't think this is a major issue, and I think this is someone overstepping, but I think it gets really hard because you feel that you're on the same side as that person. It's really like it's really easy for me to say the things Pauline Hansen says are abhorrent, mm-hmm. and I disagree completely. It's harder for me to go, the things Clementine Ford mm. say are are aggressive and an aggravate an issue. Because she is fundamentally, we're batting on the same team. We both want to see her women's her. rights, yes. But you know what I mean. But yes. there is still an element of extremist behaviour. Where, where, how do you do that, Tim? And that's a question yeah. I don't have an answer to. It's really challenging. Well,
0: my, I, I do have it. I, don't have an answer, but I have an outlook, and it's an outlook yeah. that I've brought up on the show uh, and I've brought up with you in conversation dozens of times. It's the aeroplane rule, mm. and it's the if if you haven't heard me say it before on the show. If a, if a plane is flying from Sydney to LA, how much time do you think the plane spends? If you were to draw an actual line on the globe going from those two points, how much time do you think the plane spends on that line? And a lot of people would say, oh, it spends, I don't know, 50%, 60%, 70%. No, it spends about 7% of the time actually on that line. The fact is that the, the journey between wrong and right is not straight. It is wiggly. And uh, if, we, if we pull ourselves down for not being 100% on that line all the time, then we're never going to have any motion. We're never going to be moving in the right direction at all. So when you say, oh, it's so hard because we're in these gray areas and this is like a real 50-50, the fact that you're having a conversation means that you're heading in the right direction, but we might just not be 100% on it at that exact moment. So I think it's still a win. I think we I, just keep on talking. I think that's the answer.
1: I think that's a great way to look at it. It's hard because we all have egos, Right. Like we all have to, at there's points in our life where we all have to swallow our ego and that can happen to varying degrees, but it is, it's really, uh, you make yourself really vulnerable when you have to do that. You know what I mean? That's that, which is vulnerability is strength. I'm a firm believer in that, but I, I can understand on a I I feel like I have worked very hard over a long period of time to register when my ego is flaring up and go, no, that's just an ego thing. But I can see other men, um, specifically when it comes to the not all men movement, I can see other men and it's their ego flaring up and going, well, come on, I'm not an arsehole. Not all of us are assholes." And that's where we have to, you have to register that that's that's ego driven it's not solution driven and that's a real that's an everyday ongoing challenge
0: yeah the one thing that I would love to put out there if anybody is considering doing a hashtag not all men posted saying well I'm not a part of the problem, take that Probably time <laughs> take that time and take your platform and use it if you think that you're not a part of the problem, then use it to support a woman that is going through one of those things, use it to share some information
1: rather than to, um, I don't know, aggravate the problem further. Story number two. How much money do you think it takes per annum to make you happy in Australia? Oh, um... Really hard question. This and this is a very generalized statement, but essentially, there's a financial education website called Expensivity, which has done a heap of research into the exact numerical value per country, per annum, per person, uh-huh. uh, and it's pumped out a figure that I think is going to shock you. So, just, I know that I'm asking for a lot of broad assumptions, but yep. just a stab in the dark. Eighty. That's where my head was at, roughly. Yes. I sort of thought somewhere between seventy dollars to $80,000 a year in Australia, depending on whether you have children, depending on whether your partner uh, shares that income as well, mm-hmm. uh, I thought that would sort of put you in a reasonable spot. Australia actually came in second on the list, and expensivity research suggests that you would need to earn individually $176,500 <laughs> per year. To achieve happiness in this country,
0: yeah. To be happy.
1: To be happy. Who did this test? Who did this? Who has uh, uh, done, bring them to me
0: <laughs> and uh, want to have a talk with them? Who is what it? what I
1: would say? So it's a financial education website called Expensivity, uh, and they've yeah, done it for expensive. the whole world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Bermuda came in slightly above at 187. Israel was third, which uh, Israel, Switzerland, and New Zealand coming in third, fourth, and fifth really doesn't surprise me because I've I've travelled Europe uh I've been to New Zealand I haven't been to Israel actually but I know that I've there is I've been a high to Israel um
0: I mean like owning your own bomb shelter is expensive yeah <laughs> like it's fucking war zone so like yeah. they legitimately have things like that so yeah
1: um, um but anyway no go on I think if you break down that number though it's I think for a start happiness is entirely subjective and I don't ever think that happiness should have a numerical value put to it, but I can understand potentially how they have reached that number, even though that number seems outlandish to you and I, and we would probably say we have happy lives, but imagine if you wanted to, consistently be able to purchase property in sydney or melbourne or brisbane and you wanted to have an overseas holiday every year and if these were the things and again the website's called expensivity mm. but if these were the things that equated to your happiness buying brand new cars having your children in uh, getting the best uh, possible education available to them can i that is all gonna tick up pretty quickly
0: yeah but can i I've heard other numbers be used in this conversation. I've heard some universal numbers, and and, uh, I mean, you can't quote me on this because it's off the top of my head, that it is somewhere around the mid-70s, and that after that, people don't actually get happier as their income goes up. And those things that you just listed, those things are nice. It 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 would be fun to buy a fancy car every year, and it definitely is fun to go on overseas holidays. But you are also happy when you go on local holidays, and I think that ha- I don't think that happiness is dependent. I mean, personally, my car, the Jazzerati, the Honda Jazz that I've had since high school forever, <laughs> makes me happy. So I d- like I don't think that those things are necessities. I would say, and I've been at of, I mean, we all have, we've all been at different financial points in our lives and it is stressful to not have enough money. It's stressful to worry about rent. Mm. It's stressful to worry about your health. Um, like I made the decision when I was acting because my income was so all over the place, uh, that I needed to have some stability in my life because I wanted to be able to pay my car insurance and rego without having to think about it and be able to go to the dentist if I needed to. And those things genuinely kept me up at night Mm. and having a stable and decent income increased my happiness hugely. I don't think that if it were to keep on going up and up, I can't imagine I would be that. I don't know.
1: Do you think? I thought we would probably get to this point because I agree completely with you. I think happiness is, is is it, happiness is, for a start, situational. So I have been extremely poor and extremely happy. And I have mm. uh, I have had... And neither of poor. us have been extremely rich. No, neither of us can <laughs> really speak to the extremely rich. <laughs> neither of us have earned 170000 No, I can't imagine us being... I can't imagine being happier than in some of those situations where I was uh, as poor as possible. And I think that... The, Happiness in general is a stupid scale to base your life on because contentment is really. Mm. Cont- ha- again, ha- we are we will always be happy and we will always be sad and we will always go between those situations, but if we can achieve content- content-ness, cont- contentment,
0: contentment, content, being content,
1: yeah, yep. contentment, then that's going to be far more beneficial to you as a life as a little outlier as well. Cause I just wanted to do this one quickly. Uh, turns out Iran, uh, $13,200 a year. Boom. You're happy. <laughs> Which I can't. Hummus is cheap, man. Yeah. Argentina, $11,000 a year. Really. Uh, Yep, Suriname. But is this in
0: their money or is this in US dollars? No, Australia,
1: no this is, oh, all, this is Australia all in Australia. This dollars? has all been converted to Australian dollars. So Suriname uh, is $8,900 per year. I didn't even know that was a place. Yeah, yeah. so there you go. If you want to be happy, take your money to Suriname. I think it's bullshit. Okay, at the start of the podcast,
0: we spoke about like the highlights from our last couple of days. That's normally how we start the podcast. I told you about a really fun time that I had. I went yeah. to the gym with my girlfriend, who I love. We did a funny class together. We exercised. And that cost, I think that class worked out to be $10.
1: Yeah. I, and- had, a, I had a great time on Saturday night with three of my best mates playing cards, literally playing cards for a few hours. Uh, two of us weren't even drinking. I might have had a six pack of beer over that period of time. So again, I th- and I would still have those friends regardless of what I earned. Mm. Um, expensivity. So...
0: You're out. <laughs> we, need a, we need a buzz sound. Our first ever
1: re- story rejected sound bow, effect. Bow. Get out of here, expensivity, you <laughs> morons. And imagine, imagine thinking that you have to get to that amount to be happy. Because so few, that would probably equate to 5% of the Australian population. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. a very small amount. So imagine setting yourself up. So go fuck yourselves, expensivity. You don't have <laughs> a clue.
0: Story number three.
1: Maths is on, at the moment, is on television. And
0: there is a totally different type of controversy to what we've seen before happening this season. It's not about who's hooking up with who on the side. Um, It's actually about the behavior that we're starting to see from some of the characters. And I say characters, but they're, of course, real people. And some Mm -hmm. of that behavior bordering on abusive. Now, Nick, before we get into this story, I have two questions for you. One, how much have you watched? Are you up to speed
1: at all? I haven't watched very much of MAPS, but via Osmosis, I feel like all of Australia is filled in on the drama because it just Maps is a show that transcends its actual TV viewing. Yeah. I think it I think generally you're gonna find yeah, you're gonna find three or four news stories on news.com every day, two or three articles on pedestrian. My, I Michael West Media hasn't done a story yet, but I'm sure if there's some sort of tax fraud involved, he'll get into it.
0: <laughs> okay. So you're vaguely up to speed. But yeah, you're not really I know. I roughly know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, My question number two for you before we get into it. Is there anything that you want to preface this story with? Anything that you want to get out in the open before we get into it? However, you would want to say
1: it. I have a, I I know where you go with
0: this. Yeah, I want you to do it. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, no,
1: no. I have a tumultuous personal relationship with Bryce Ruthven, who is a member of the cast for this year. He and I uh, worked in similar jobs in a similar city in radio for a period of time. And he uh, did a lot, uh, said a lot of really nasty things about me um, to people in that community Uh, without knowing me personally. At the time I was in a, bad situation where I had to live in a town removed from that city and try to do radio into it. And he certainly didn't make my life easy. uh, And he has been an ongoing, I guess you would say character in my life since he's popped up at different times. I guess it's important that we put that out there.
0: Um, I also uh, know Bryce uh, Mm. because similarly from radio, I've never competed with him the way that you have. So you have a different relationship. Um and I've had a night out with him where he was a little bit odd. Um, so now we'll get into it. I think it's important that people understand that, that that exists. Yeah. Yeah. So uh two people have come under fire on the show for their behavior this season. The first one is James, who is the guy who uh wore a turtleneck at his wedding. He was told by the experts before he left that his behavior was toxic. Um, and, uh, after he was relentlessly gaslighting his partner, the second one is ding, ding, ding Bryce, who's been consistently putting his wife on the show down, uh, comes up pretty much every week, if not every episode that he wouldn't go up and talk to her. If they were in a bar in another setting, um, he has put her very far down on the list when he had to, when they all had to rank their partners in terms of attractiveness Uh, And the scariest part is uh, the fact that he has been slowly isolating her from everybody else on the show. And this week he started actually isolating her from her family and the judges. Which I'm not sure if you would be up to speed on because this has just happened in the last few episodes. Mm. I've actually had a chat with my mum about this uh, and she called me because she wanted to talk about it. Uh, She is a domestic violence lawyer and she was really shocked at seeing this. And Mm. she pointed out to me that um, isolating somebody is very often the first step in abuse, in an abusive relationship. Nick, do you think that it's fair? And we've used the word character a couple of times and we've also used the names James and Bryce, who are the men involved in this, Um, but there are real people, there are real women who are attached to these two guys, who have been partnered with them, who are completely innocent in all of this, and who have had to put up with this behaviour. Do you think that it's fair to put human beings into
1: a TV show where they get treated like this? No, I don't. I don't think any part of this is fair. And I actually also don't think it's fair... Uh, I, this is going to be controversial, but I also don't think it's necessarily fair to the male characters as well, because you've you've used the word characters a few times. I do think that this has now reached the point where these are to an extent characters. I do think that this is essentially a soap opera that has real human beings attached as the lead actors, and that's a really, really dangerous place for us to be and it's incredibly irresponsible of the television networks and production companies to do this because i think it would be okay and we've spoken about this in art before it is okay to to show representations of abusive relationships in art like a film or a TV. Like a film or yeah. a TV show, even in a, even if this was called The Bold and the Beautiful and Bryce had a character name and he was playing an actor, it would be okay to show those situations because that is a part of life and it's important to show people breaking out of those situations as well. And And you would have an arc where the female character was empowered through friends and family or hopefully. whatever yeah. to hopefully come out of that situation. I don't think it's okay to show that in a reality TV setting at all. Because these are, as you said, real human beings, and there's going to be real outcomes on their lives. And, and in the case of Bryce uh, and I, I think it's Melissa or Lis, is, yeah, is the Melissa? Person. Yeah. she is going to end up copying stigma for what people perceive as not being strong enough to walk away from mm. that relationship. And that's where it gets really concerning because then not only are you placing someone in a position where they're inherently becoming the victim, but then they're also copying victim blaming on a national scale. And that's just fucking crazy. It's nuts that we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. And and she,
0: there is nothing that she... like. It's not like she signed up and went, yeah, I would like to be treated like this on national yeah. TV. Yeah. And, I mean, I... Th- this is such a hard thing to guess but watching it you've got to look at it and go i wonder if something has happened to this woman in the past because mm. the way that she's behaving behaving is concerning um i like she is getting increasingly downtrodden just explain to me you said you don't think that it's fair on the men why do you think it's not fair on on the men
1: because they are dickheads and and this is where it becomes inherently a problem is that producers are definitely manipulating the situation to bring and out app and fueling their worst qualities. Yes. Because it is, it is well known that these people go through a number of psych evaluations before they're even entered onto this show. And, and that the producers man, do try to manipulate the characters to be, they could basically write the show before they even get the people on it. And then they're just trying to fill it with people that fit those exact character values. And knowing And again, not on a super personal level. I would never say I know Bryce on a personal level. I know he's a competitive person. And in his mind, I think he is trying to win something. He sees Mm. keeping this relationship going. If he can keep this relationship going till the end of the show, that's perceived as a win in some kind. Clearly, there is very little chemistry between these two people. And, And that's where I think it would be so much safer and healthier if these so-called experts, which they have done in the past, got to a commitment ceremony and just said, guys, we're not continuing. You guys are off. Yeah. This is done. This is not a relationship. it's not healthy in any way it's not working we need to end this and instead they focused on maybe some couples who are going to potentially because i mean you know arranged marriages have had such great success in the history of humans in the past but yeah it's um that's where i do think it's unfair because there is still producers exploiting these guys yes this guy the the behavior has been abhorrent and i don't i'm not someone who just goes editing 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 Well, you have to say the words for them to, even if they change the
0: context or whatever, and they chop out this sentence or that sentence, you still have to say the words. The words have to come
1: out of your mouth. Absolutely. But we, we both have a personal friend who was on a dating show and we've been told how they would lock, they would isolate her mm. for up to two or three days. They wouldn't feed them, or they'd put food out that they specifically knew people didn't want to eat. They
0: would do stuff to mess with their heads, to, yeah, to put them, them on with edge.
1: Vodka and Red Bull for six hours and, 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 and tell them rumors behind each other's backs. Mm. So this is, an, this is an exaggeration of life, but I think they've really reached unhealthy levels this time. And what I, what I would say though is, man, I love how people are calling it out. I love how people are, because I think there probably has been examples of this level of shitty behavior, but I think it shows that the social conscious has changed a little bit Mm -hmm. and people are comfortable calling out how dangerous these relationships are.
0: I put this on our Facebook group, Off Air Podcast Community, um, and we got a couple of comments. Dareth said, yes, I think it's abusive from both of them. Um, Dante said, not sure what's, a, what's more abusive, Bryce's behavior or his smug face. Um, <laughs> Luke wrote, is this show still on? <laughs> Nat wrote, I think that the experts have dealt with the abusive behavior well. They're not condoning it at all and have been quite vocal about how unacceptable it is. I think if anything, MAFs allows people to see how abusive behavior can creep up into relationships. I've got to say for me personally, I've never been in an abusive relationship because of the work that my mum does. It's been a topic of conversation in the majority of my life. Mm-hmm. I've never actually seen this type of behavior with my own two eyes though. I have known the word gaslighting. I've never seen it before. Uh, do you think that if it's handled correctly on the show, which, uh, like Nat said, the the uh, not judge the experts have been trying to guide this, do you think if it's handled correctly on the show, it's potentially a net positive because no. it's starting a conversation and educating?
1: No, because I think that as we said at the start of this topic, I think that you can do that if it's a soap opera and just brand it a soap opera and make these people actors but i think that these people leave the show and they are susceptible to abuse for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. uh, and there will not be tv producers to protect them in that situation and and the the channel 9 counselors aren't going to be with these people in 20 years time sitting down and talking them through those situations like this and you're also talking about people at a really formative age in their lives like a lot of these people are between 25 and 32 which is when we Uh, do a lot of personal development and and a lot of self-reflection and try to make ourselves into the adults we want to be. I I don't think it's a net positive. I think there's other ways to show these relationships, and I think that that's, you know, a big part of the problem with reality TV.
0: But what about – the we haven't quite addressed just how much this puts a spotlight on these things and how much this gets people talking. So according to the Google Trends, the term gaslighting became the second highest trend of the week after it was brought up on the show. It was, the word gaslighting was searched by tens of thousands of people, more than the number of people that were searching the word maths or, or anything to do with the show, because it started those conversations. Do you think if it, I, I mean, it's like, it's a moral dilemma. It's like, there's a train coming. You got people on this side, people on that side, yeah. which way do you divert yeah. it? If this starts a conversation for tens of thousands of people,
1: and you can't th- sacrifice an individual for that, though. You can't. I, I, I cannot reconcile that s- when I know there's healthier ways to do it. Mm-hmm. I can't reconcile that when I just know that this is purely under the influence of the fact that reality TV is cheaper to make than drama. You pay the actors less. They spit them out. They don't have to give a fuck about them after they're done. They're never going to increase in profile. Bryce or Melissa or any other character on the show, they are at the peak of their profile right now. now. It's not a situation where Kylie Minogue has gone on to Neighbours and then in three years' time she's going to be the biggest pop star in the world and, and, and you can't sign her anymore. And just on that,
0: I mean, we see that in the radio industry. Like Bryce had a job in Canberra. I can't speak mm. about his actual contracts, but he was on air at, at Cam, in Canberra mm. when this show before this show was going on he is not on air in a role that I'm aware of right now. Yeah. And I
1: think that's where I just can't reconcile it when there's better ways for us to do this. I can't reconcile the world of reality TV when they're intentionally creating a toxic environment. And that's where, like, I'm all for The Amazing Race or I'm all for Survivor. You know what I mean? I'm all for reality TV shows, uh, even MasterChef, which, which are based around, a relatively pro positive premise and executed in a way that is done. When was the last time anyone saw fucking anything happy on married at first sight? When was like, when was, when was there anything really incredible and uplifting and a show true of human spirit? I mean, it's the, mm. it is the gutter of TV. It's a shame it rates so highly. <laughs> the thing that I would say Uh, is I may have been playing devil's
0: advocate a little bit along the way just to get this stuff in. I do actually agree with you. And the (laughs) argument about the idea that it starts conversations, um, what I would say to that is McDonald's starts conversations about dietary problems.
1: Yeah, does that make that the positive? (laughs) Does that make McDonald's the as as high up as a dietitian or a positive thing for food? What I would like to see
0: is, in an ideal world, if I was a TV producer, which I'm not, um, but in an ideal world, if we wanted to look at these things, we could do it in a in a defined, informative way. We could create documentaries on it. We could do 60 Minutes exclusives on it. We could have greater conversations around it. But I think the fact that we're creating Situations where people are really intentionally, potentially being hurt, who weren't being hurt previously. I think that's where the where the lines get blurred. Nick picks. Do you have a recommendation for me? What should I do? Yeah,
1: I got a quick one. New artist. Uh, well, he's not new. He's been around a few years. He's a Brooklyn MC. His name is Coda the Friend. Uh, his most famous oh, yeah. song is probably Long Beach uh he's got a new album out called to kill a sunrise and there's an awesome uh first single off it called wolves i'm searching for it right now On yeah, uh, get in there. code of the friend uh, it's with yeah, a c of the uh k k-o-t-a the oh, friend okay. uh, and the song is called wolves if you go to his spotify uh it's like the fifth or sixth song down um but it's yeah it's off well, his I latest can album if i do this but don't play no don't play. La, 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 la. Don't play okay. don't do don't, I was don't playing it. it off my phone all right all right we'll you get... don't want to do a nitpick and get sued from Coda <laughs> okay. come on Coda please I'm sorry I was trying to help you My
0: yeah. nickpick um is also on Spotify uh we we're so typical bros sometimes um uh Joe Rogan great podcast um by him <laughs> is his conversation not all of them I don't need to listen to 4 hours on DMT and uh, fasting, Brazilian
1: jiu jitsu. Jiu jitsu.
0: We talk about that enough. Um, he's got, he's done a podcast with Francis Naganu, who is um currently the number two heavyweight UFC fighter. Um, and it, I think he's fighting for the title like in the next week or so. That's mm. not what caught me about this podcast episode. Do you know the story of Francis Francis yeah. Naganu?
1: It's uh, incredible. He, um, it, he was he was mining sand as a ten year old in Africa. Yes, he was yeah. born.
0: In a village in Cameroon, he was raised by his auntie. He was put to work at age ten in a mine, like you said. Um, he didn't have enough. A sand fr- mine as well. It's the least fun mine you could work in. That's the it's and like the some, heaviest. Kind Oliver of of Twist. Awesome. Yeah, crazy, <laughs> crazy, 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 crazy. Um, he was a refugee. Was deported from Europe three times and just kept mm. finding his way back to make it into the sport. Uh, I think he has been the heavyweight champion, and I think he's, no, not, he's not got he's it. He's on
1: his weight. No, he's, uh, he, he has been beat. He's fighting uh, another. So the thing with the, the UFC is they're actually very likable characters, and he's fighting against a guy called Stipe Miocic, who has had the most title defenses in heavyweight history. Stipe's a firefighter. UFC fighting is his side gig. He's actually a firefighter over in the US. And so oh. it's this battle of like two of the nicest human beings who also happen to be the biggest and most dangerous human beings on the, on planet. the planet. Yeah, it's going to be a, a awesome fight. Stipe, Stipe beat him uh, in 2018. So this is oh. Francis Nigano's comeback uh-huh. fight. But the wrinkle is Francis Nagano only learned how to fight at something like 20 or 22, started... He, properly training, he had on, he had only even done boxing,
0: and his coach yeah. started putting him into MMA, and then he was in the UFC before he knew the rules. Nick, yeah, yeah, he didn't know what the rules were yet. So, but his story—I mean, you think of Rocky Balboa as being an underdog story. This guy came mm-hmm. from a village in Cameroon, yeah. and now he's fighting on the biggest stage in the world. It's just it's amazing to hear about the drive that he had. He, uh, one of the things that he talks about was he had a motorbike, and he, so he was able to do a taxi service, which there was a big deal, and he wanted to throw it, throw it away to go and pursue his dream, and everyone in his village thought he was crazy because that mm-hmm. was it. He already had a career. He had a motorbike. It's That's amazing wow. to hear. Yeah. yeah. Great, great podcast. Check it out. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, man. All right, I'll see you. It was a pleasure. We'll get see out of group. here. Um, uh, if you're listening and you're not in the Facebook group and you're on Facebook search uh, "Off Air Podcast Community," you can jump into the group. Someone messaged me about it. They were like, "Hey, is the group private?" Yeah, the group is private, so you can go in there and you can comment and you can write about any of your experiences or whatever. If your friends are not, your friends or family not in the group, they don't see those comments. Yeah,
1: and um, you can help us make a podcast each week. We love that feedback as well. Uh, and, and the comments we get in that really uh, often inspire and change my minds on, my mind on things. I know I definitely learned from yeah. you guys so much. So please get involved. It's private for a reason so that it is our little safe space. It's a dickhead-free zone. So get into it. All right. Catch you next week. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Off Air. Remember to like and subscribe.
1: People are entitled to their sexual proclivities.